Welcome back, everyone. Another week of Taurus Tech Talk here at SG Taurus. I'm your host, Matt LePan. Once again, joined by Phil Valpi, our Senior Technical Support Representative. Phil, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Good to be here, Matt. Today, Phil's going to be talking about something that, as a tech, you're probably going to run into minimum of once a week, you know, if not more, and that is diagnosing a failed heat exchanger. So, heat exchanger failure is something that there are a lot of schools out there they'll teach you how to do it and I think that with some basic knowledge you can probably be pretty pretty good at diagnosing a crack in a heat exchanger without a whole bunch of really expensive equipment and schooling no question the schooling may may help you but it's not always available to people so if you're on a furnace and the customer has no heat and you are getting a pressure switch fault, that's a first indication that we could have a heat exchanger issue. Now, we sell more pressure switches that there is nothing wrong with because there is a cracked heat exchanger and the pre- it shows up as a pressure switch fault. For instance, Customer will go in, you will turn the furnace on, the inducer will run, and the pressure switch will not close. And the first thing that the technician does is changes the pressure switch. They put the new pressure switch in, turn the furnace on, the new pressure switch doesn't close. Must be a faulty pressure switch. They'll bring the pressure switch back to us and get another one. By the time they're on the third pressure switch, they probably start to ask the question to somebody what's wrong, and we will start to lead them in the direction of maybe you should check the actual vacuum on the pressure switch. So the pressure switch itself will have a vacuum level on it, and this is really important with heat exchangers. Let's go, for instance, a vacuum level on a pressure switch, say it says 1.0. The pressure switch is out there, that 1.0 is where the pressure switch opens. So its safety is at 1.0 inches of water column of vacuum. That is not where it closes. It closes at 0.15 higher than that. So the true closing on this 1.0 pressure switch is 1.15, which means you have to see a vacuum level of 1.15 or greater on this pressure switch. Most of our heat exchangers are either two-pipe or what we call seal combustion or direct vent, and they have two pipes connected, which means the pressure switch has two hoses connected to it. One is on the heat exchanger side and one is on the inducer side. Those hoses, which are usually on opposite sides of the pressure switch, each pull a vacuum on the pressure switch. So think of the pressure switch as being in a tug of war. We have the heat exchanger pulling at one side and the burner box pulling it on the other side. So if we need a 1.15 inch vacuum to close that and we have vacuum on both sides that means we have to subtract one vacuum for another to get at least 115 so in the one 1.0 1. case with the 115 close we would normally see a 0.25 vacuum on the burner box side 
We're going to add that now to the 115, so we have to see now at least a 140 to close the pressure switch. But the manufacturer isn't going to cut it that close, so they're going to make sure we have a cushion there of maybe 30, 40, 50%. So we would see at least a 1, probably 7.5 to a 2.0 vacuum on the main hose of the pressure switch. So in other words, with this tug-of-war vacuum on this pressure switch, we have to see a really deep vacuum on one of them and there's a minor vacuum on the other one so that the net will equal more than 1.15 to close the switch. Now, why did I go through this whole convoluted tale? Because if you don't have a dual port manometer to check a pressure switch, you'll never get the heat exchanger correct to see if it's right or wrong. You need a good electronic manometer or, you know, a magnahelix, something that will measure really good vacuum levels in inches of water column to test this. So when your 1.0 pressure switch doesn't close, the first thing you should be doing is measuring the vacuum on each side of it, subtracting the two, and it should be more than what the pressure switch reading for closing is. In this case, it's 1.15. If you get a poor reading, say you need the 1.15 and you only get 0.9 between the two of them total, chances are you have a bad heat exchanger or a bad inducer. The inducer you're gonna to have to check by its amperage. Usually if the amperage on the inducer is correct and there are no fins broken on the inducer, inducer is probably pretty good. If there's a gasket on the inducer where it mounts to the heat exchanger, make sure that that hasn't cracked. So if everything looks good and the pressure switch doesn't close, here's where we're gonna go change the heat exchanger. I don't care what manufacturer this is, the easiest way to do it is to, if you can, warm up the heat exchanger. However you can make the gas valve heat the heat exchanger up and run the blower for four or five minutes, we would like the heat exchanger to be warm. The reason we want it to be warm is a lot of the cracks in the heat exchangers, when it's cold, will close up and they won't leak. Once they warm up, the crack f opens up and you get a big hole in the pressure switch won't make. So if we can warm it up, it's better. Once we warm it up, we then turn off the furnace, unplug the pressure switch hose from the heat exchanger side, and put your dual port manometer, just put one port of it, either port will work, onto the place where you took the hose off of the heat exchanger. So you've got your, your manometer here, your electronic manometer, hooked up to the heat exchanger. You then zero out the manometer. Just make sure it's zero, zero, zero. At that point, we want you to figure out how to turn the blower on. Not the inducer, just the blower. Sometimes you just unplug the inducer so it doesn't run. But if the thermostat has the ability to turn the blower on, just turn it to fan on. If you have to jump R to G at the furnace, turn it on. If you have a fan limit controller, you gotta turn it up to turn it on. You want the blower to run. With the blower running, you should have zero, zero, zero on your manometer. It should never move. If it moves at all, that means some of the air that the blower is blowing across the heat exchanger is escaping into the heat exchanger and pressurizing your manometer. 
may seem like a crude way of doing it, but it's, it's pretty straightforward that if we have a hole in the heat exchanger and we blow air in it, it's going to pop up on this manometer. Now, one of the drawbacks of doing this is if it stays at zero, 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 we did not 100% prove that there is no crack in the heat exchanger. If it moved, we did prove that there is a crack. Not moving, we may have to do some more work, but if it, if it did move off of zero, 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 then we got a crack in the heat exchanger and the heat exchanger is probably going to have to be replaced. You know, and what causes that heat exchanger place to, to crack? Plugged filter, wrong fan motor, plugged evaporator coil, which a lot of people forget. Fan limit control that was changed to a higher temperature. So if the customer had a plugged filter and changed it and you get there and there's a new filter, you don't really think about the bad heat exchanger. So, and the plugged filter could have happened six months ago or a year ago. So cracked heat exchangers may get stressed with overheating and not crack for a little while longer. So, you know, heat exchangers don't necessarily just crack instantly with a plugged filter. That plugged filter may have happened five times in the past, okay? So we've shown you now how to do the heat exchanger with the manometer. There is no rule about carbon monoxide in the heat exchanger. Most of these heat exchangers, if you put a carbon monoxide detector on top of the heat exchanger in the airflow stream, they should read zero. Because you have an inducer motor on this heat exchanger, it's a negative pressure heat exchanger and it sucks air into the heat exchanger so carbon monoxide will not leak out and carbon monoxide should not be present in the house or in the airstream on a cracked heat exchanger. On a massive hole in a heat exchange the size of your fist, anything can happen, but it really shouldn't be running at that point. But when you get a CO detector going off in the house, normally it's not on these 90% furnaces with inducers. Normally it's not the heat exchanger, it's the airflow recirculating air in the house. It could be the water heater doing it, it could be a car parked in the garage or something like that. So CO should be zero around the furnace and, and in, the, in the airflow. And if it's not, check the return air to see if the CO in it because it may be sucking it from another part of the house. But heat exchangers do have small dimples and cracks and things in them that, that are, are crazing that does not affect the operation and do not open up. That's why sometime if you go in with a camera and people will go in with a camera and look and you can see a crack but we're assuming most people don't have a camera because that could be four or five hundred dollars but some of the cracks in that are not f they're just part of manufacturing if you can see a wide open crack great it's a bad heat exchanger but most of these cracks can be found by putting a dual port manometer on the heat exchanger and turning the blower on great thank you phil that's some awesome information and you know, it's a, it's a way that you can quickly and easily diagnose something that you're probably going to run into a good amount when you're out there servicing any furnaces. want to thank Phil for joining us. want to thank you all out there for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find us. Make sure to follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. If you have any questions, you can call the technical support hotline 978 657 4768. 
And as always, catch our podcast on our website, sgtours.com backslash podcast. Well, thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Taurus Tech Talk.